0: Good morning, folks. How you doing? I'm glad to see you. I really am. Um, Sometimes it does it ever feel like the devil's got your number and he's just trying to discourage you. And I have those days and weeks and months and even years. Um, But I'm so glad that he's always there for us. The Lord is always there for us. When you when you when it hasn't been your day, your one month. Day, your week, your month, or even your year, the Lord will be there for you. Nobody watches Friends here. Good for you. I only watch it when someone else is watching Friends, and I can't get away from it. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I've been thinking this week. I've been doing a little soul searching this week. Do you ever do a little soul searching? And I was thinking back to the very first funeral I ever spoke at, very first funeral I ever preached, and it lasted all of three minutes. It was a three-minute funeral, three minutes. Um, I was maybe 23 years old at the time, and I'd asked to be the short-term interim minister at Little River Baptist Church down in Floyd, on the other side of Floyd. I'd, I had no training whatsoever, uh, I had no experience And I do not know why they asked me. I think it's because Elman Thompson told me, told them that I could be trusted. If you ever knew Elman Thompson, he spoke up for me when he probably shouldn't, but God bless him. And uh, I was there. I was going to be the intra pastor at Little River Baptist Church. And I got this call that an elderly church member had passed away. And. I was the one who was going to do the service, never having done a service before, never having met her before, having no training, nothing at all. And I wasn't even officially supposed to start until the next week. So, of course, wisely, I said, okay. And uh, it was really short. It was a three-minute sermon, three minutes. And the family of the deceased was very, very kind, very understanding. They sort of knew I was coming into this with With almost no resources they were super nice and we spent a long time together and i got to do a lot more ministry after the funeral was over um than during the funeral itself but it it like weighs on me somebody lived their whole life 80 plus years for this lady three minutes three minutes three minute funeral now i'm a big believer in that you preach your funeral while you're living and and that's the real legacy you're going to leave but But I think about that. How do you summarize what somebody stood for? Who they were? Even if even if you knew them well, even if it's your best friend, how do you how do you sum? How do you say, okay, here's here's who this person was. Here's who this person is. I I think about that. I want to leave this earth and somebody be able to and point to something that I've done that's made a difference. I think about that a lot. Do you think about that a lot? You, you really should be thinking we have this one and only life. What are we going to do with it? Billions of people live. Billions of people die. But we shouldn't just l- live. We should live for something. We shouldn't just die. We should die for something. And hey, that is a big old bucket of extra Crispy theology right there. I just want to summarize it in this one phrase. This is really, we're not going to, I'm not going to be able to say all I want to say today, but I do want to say this much. If I want to be free, I can't make it about me. So that is it. It even rhymes today. You're welcome. So someone says, oh, did you go to church on Sunday? What'd the preacher say? He said, if I want to be free, I can't make it about me. If anybody could have made it about himself, it was Jesus. It really was about him. It, it really is about him. But he didn't really make it about himself. He laid down his life for others. And last week, we saw how Jesus dropped the bomb on his disciples. And, and he revealed the news. If it was today, it would say it was the big reveal. The, revealed the news that he was going to be killed. And how did they respond to that? Not too good they were surprised they were shocked they were hurt Peter pulled him aside and said no 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 Jesus you can't be talking about dying if you die what are we going to do they didn't understand that what we that the laying down of our life is how we really live and Jesus is going to explain that to them here in this passage I don't know that we'll get that far but we're going to get beginning down that road that uh, hey they didn't understand that that Jesus was going to rise again even though he plainly told them but by the way the guy who predicts his death and resurrection and then pulls off the trick i want to be on that guy's team amen i want to be on his team um they didn't really understand it at the time they when Jesus started talking about dying they couldn't believe it they couldn't accept it they didn't want to believe it and yet it's true the the way of Jesus was to lay down his life and the way of a disciple is to lay down our lives and not make it about us. If we want to live free, we we can't make it about me. So we're in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. We ain't going to get that far. He uses some pretty serious imagery here. So Uh, let's do one verse. Verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, in this moment, please speak to us through your word and help us to understand a little better what it really means to deny ourselves and take up a cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Jesus spoke these words, he was probably just getting back into Galilee and he had his 12 disciples who were close by him. I kind of imagine him being in a big open space, maybe on the road, maybe in the middle of a town, and there's lots of other people at a distance around him. And when he says this, he stops and he calls the people who are at a distance to come in close and to hear this. Um, Jesus called a special handful of people, you know, the 12 disciples, but that's not all he's called. Jesus does not just call a small group of insiders to be a part of what he is doing he says this to everybody who wants to follow him. We, we kind of live in this world where for a, a long time we have seen this difference between the, quote, professional Christians and, like, the, quote, normal Christians. That's not really how the Lord sees it. He doesn't see there are these professionals, the guys who've been to seminary, the guys who, who uh, have an office and a title, He doesn't see that huge distinction that we do. Every believer is called to be close to him, to be a big part of what he's doing. He does not have any part-time openings. If you wanted to serve Jesus part-time, I'm sorry. He doesn't have any part-time jobs available. It's full-time, and it's a lot more than 40 hours if you do it right. It's this calling that we have is to be all in. Following Jesus, that's the best thing you can do. Understand, it is not cheap. Nothing of real value ever is. In our family, you know, we are zero. We are not at all above buying like generic products. I don't know, any any like generic people like well, yeah, we'll totally get the generic stuff. There's some things you don't get generic because it's you know the quality is there. There's really one main thing we just won't get generic. Should I say it? Okay, don't buy generic toilet paper. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. My wife didn't stop me from sharing that. Yeah, don't buy generic toilet paper. You'll, you'll pay for that in other ways. Don't do that. So look, understand that if you want something of quality, you're probably going to have to pay for it. And this Jesus following life, look, Jesus paid it all. I love that. Jesus paid it all. We are not working our way into heaven. It's not like, okay, Jesus got us a seat, but now we have to earn our spot. No, 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 no. Praise God, he gave it all when he gave his life on Calvary. When he rose again, we, we're we not trying to get our way into heaven. But being a part, being on team Jesus, comes with some responsibilities. There is some accountability. I, I, I've met people, and I know lots of people who, who say they're a Christian, but they don't seem to take part in anything after that you know hey i've been i've prayed the prayer i've been baptized but okay what about now are you living this life I, I do want you to understand that you can join the family of god pretty easily because the lord has paid your way in but being a part of it will require an investment on your your part you have a responsibility and jesus gives us two big requirements here and the first one is absolutely countercultural deny yourself deny yourself our culture does not believe in denying ourselves we're we're built on the opposite value indulge yourself is what our culture says do whatever you think will make you feel good don't let anybody tell you differently and self-denial is seen as the worst thing how dare how dare anybody tell me i can't do what i want to do And that's been our our cultural philosophy for a long time. Hey, I understand. Hey, we're Americans. We're Americans. Americans. Our country was born out of a desire for self-determination. That's not a bad thing. We want to have freedom. The problem with freedom is people want freedom, but not the responsibility that comes with freedom. Freedom can deteriorate into self-centered indulgence if we're free to do whatever we want human beings have this tendency to start doing what we want in an unhealthy way and hey that's the way of great empires start out free and then become uh, it it becomes a, a slavery to self america seems to be following as hard as it can on the heels of rome I don't know if you know much about the Roman Empire, but Rome wasn't really destroyed by its enemies. It was destroyed by its excesses. It was not because it ran out of resources, but because it ran out of self-control. And in the end, the city was so weak that a bunch of half-starved barbarians marched in and took it over the Visigoths because uh, Rome had just indulged itself out of existence. And, you know, I pray for our country. I love it here. It's a good place to be. I don't want to see it ruined by that. Okay, let's lay aside the the historical and even the spiritual implications of self denial for a second, and talk about the cultural part. Our culture is wrong about self denial. Self denial is an important part of self control. Self denial is not a punishment. It keeps you from getting punished. A healthy amount of self denial keeps you from running people off the road when you're driving because people can't drive. Have you noticed this? People don't drive very well and they need to know they don't drive well. So you tell them, right? No, maybe you don't. You just pray for them. Say, Lord, I pray for that person. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that they'll get a flat tire and get the heck out of my way. No, I heard somebody play me a song. It's called I'll Pray For You. Don't listen to that song. That's a song I'll pray for you to... Let's not pray them prayers, please. About, you know The prayers that someone would uh, um, have a hard time a bad day. I, I don't recommend that. There are some imprecatory prayers in the scriptures, but I'd say to use those very sparingly, if I were you. <clears throat> Self-denial is, is the better part of self-control that keeps us from punching obnoxious people and from more serious things like you're responsible to take care of some money that is not your money and you don't steal that money. There's a self, self-denial self there. Um, self-denial keeps us from being so arrogant and selfish and self-centered that people can't stand us. Have you met people that you can't stand because they only seem to be thinking of themselves? you don't want to be one of those people. You don't want to be. Self-denial helps us from doing that. Self-denial stops us from messing up important relationships in our lives, from ruining our health. Without some self-denial, a lot of us would be in jail right now because we just went ahead and did what we want to do, we'd be in big trouble for it. Yeah, it's human nature to make it about us to be self-indulgent. But self-indulgence is a recipe for pain and unhappiness. If we don't deny ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. Get this, more self-denial means less self-destruction. If you're the kind of person who writes things down on sermons, this will be one of those things you want to write down. More self-denial means less self-destruction. That's a good one. So we hear Jesus say, deny yourself, or, Whoever wants to follow after me, have them deny themselves. And we assume that will mean that our lives are less enjoyable if we deny ourselves. You know that the Lord will have us living in a monastery, wearing itchy robes and eating dry toast with nacho libre, and and it's just you know rough, bad life. But no, it's not it. In reality, it means we don't wreck our relationships and we don't wreck our health and we don't wreck our mental health and our finances and our spiritual life. Self-denial is the path to victory, not defeat. It's it's more difficult in the moment, but it's better overall. On the whole, your life will be happier if you don't indulge everything that you want to do and practice some self-denial in a healthy way. Self-indulgence makes you a slave to your desires and the right kind of self-denial sets you free. So let's be clear, though. Self-denial isn't self-abuse. It is not beating up on yourself. I spent an awful long time beating up on myself and that is not the same as self-denial. I'm trying to get over that one. Um, self-denial isn't being unkind to yourself. It is, ooh, this is a big one. Self-denial is not being a people pleaser an unhealthy kind of people, please, that's not the same as self-denial. There's a lot of reasons for that. We could do a whole other sermon or series on that one, but it's not the same as self-denial. It's not the same as letting people walk on you or making a martyr of yourself. All of those are just a, another form of self-indulgence. I know that sounds a little heavy, but this is one I've thought about a lot. We might say, well, what? if I deny myself... I won't get to have the things I want. Okay. Do you know people who seem to be stuck on themselves? Who seem to be all about themselves? You know those people? Do they seem happy? They seem happy to you? They get what they want. Maybe more of the time than you do. But do they seem happy when they get it? No, they don't seem so happy. Look, a self-focused life is an unhappy life. It's counterintuitive. You would think, I'll be happy when I get what I want. But if your focus is on yourself, you won't be happy. A self-focused life makes you a slave. If I want to be free, I can't make it about me. That's the heart of it. Healthy self-denial is shifting your focus off yourself and off your immediate desires. True freedom is found not in focusing on the self, but in connecting with something bigger than you. Something greater than you in connecting with God and his plans for your life, his ultimate plans. Okay, you you believe God really is who he says he is, king of the universe and all of that, and all powerful, all knowing, all good, all loving. Doesn't it make sense to plug into his plan? Because he's got a better plan than we do. That brings us to the second and more revolutionary thing that Jesus said um, here in uh, verse 34. First, I want to throw you one more, though. Just so you understand. Saying yes to God. Say yes to God even if it means saying no to yourself. Because when you say yes to God. You're you're really saying yes to the best thing for you. It's not like you're. It's like well I have to choose between God and being happy. No. Nah. You may be choosing between doing things God's way and and it being hard for the moment but on the grand scheme of things you're choosing God's way you're choosing what's best you're choosing what's good and in the moment it may be tough but long term it's going to be better now verse 34 let's read it again when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also he said to them whoever desires to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow after me all right a few weeks ago I looked out of my office window. I'm just glad I got a window. I didn't used to have a window. I worked a long time with no window. Praise God for a window. I looked out of my office window and I saw a guy carrying a 12-foot tall wooden cross. I've seen people like that before carrying a cross. I saw one, a guy carrying a cross up Fancy Gap Mountain one time. Probably should have stopped and helped him. But that's what he wanted to do. This guy's taking it very literally. Take up your cross and follow after me. I didn't look and see if Jesus was ahead of him on the road anywhere. I just took that for granted that it was a metaphor. But this guy did have an innovation on his cross I haven't seen before. On the base of the cross that he was carrying, he had attached a wheel. That's smart stuff. He had a wheel on the base of his cross. So he wasn't carrying it or dragging it so much as as rolling it. I was like, Lord, does that count? I don't know if that counts. I think it's a metaphor anyway and probably not a literal thing that you need to be carrying a big wooden cross. But if you had a wheel, should you ever find yourself carrying a wooden cross? See if you can find a wheel. That seemed seemed better. Maybe like a couple more, like four of these wheels on a truck. I think that's the best way to do it okay if a guy carrying a cross out the truck route in galax sounds weird to you imagine how the hearers here must have felt the first ones who heard this look to to these folks the cross was you know we connect a cross with jesus right we that is our imagery when someone says the cross we think of it as a symbol of christianity a symbol of faith something that represents jesus understand that when jesus said this the crucifixion has not happened yet they did not connect a cross with salvation a cross was in that day a roman invention for torturing people to death that's what a cross was so they say take up your cross that's Ooh, that's why would we do that it would be like you saying to someone today take up your electric chair take up your hangman's noose take up your guillotine and follow after me they didn't have a category for this what he is saying to them they must have looked at each other in confusion like um why does he want us to take up a cross is he trying to get us killed the truth is there the whole time, though. Okay, let's really get to it, all right? What does it mean to carry a cross? We use that phrase sometimes, that something is our cross to bear, you know. And uh, very often we connect that to something that's a fairly minor inconvenience. Like, oh man, tomorrow's Monday, i got to go back to work to mon- Monday. The retired people just don't smirk at me right now. I see it, and I feel it. I gotta go back to work on Monday. That's my cross to bear. Just because my children want food and shelter, electricity, Wi Fi. Gotta go back to work. Oh man, gotta put up with that one annoying family member. That's my cross to bear. And some of you are saying, You only have one annoying family member, Pastor? Should meet my people. Oh man, I gotta put up with that one. Now here's mine, how is the trash can full again? How? Anyone else live in a house where the trash can is always magically full? But the really magical part is how only certain members of the household are able to see that it's full. My wife is raising her hand right now and saying it's her, but that's not even true. I don't know why she is lying right here in the middle of y'all. She's normally a very truthful person, but she's waving her hand in the hair like she's the only one who empties a trash can. That is not true. It is also me and Elijah when I force him to. <laughs> that's how many times our trash can gets emptied every day. So much that every person who's emptying it thinks they're the only one who's emptying it, but that's not true. Everybody's emptying it. It's just always full. That's my cross to bear the sink full of dishes, the sink full of dishes. And if my wife raises her hand right now, y'all ignore it. She's a wonderful, lovely person, but ignore anything she says right now. The dishes. How do we use so many dishes? How? I don't understand. Why won't the cupcake thing fit in our little sink? Why does the cupcake thing wash me while I'm washing it? You've heard of it. You know, spoons. Spoons wash you while you're washing them. The cupcake does it, it, does it 16 times. Why do we have a cupcake tin we can't fit in our sink? I'm going to cut the cupcake thing in half. So we have two, eight thing, and it'll fit in our sink. Then there's, gonna, there's only 12. Then there's going to be six times two i could find a bandsaw the jaws of life a hatchet i don't understand it's my cross to bear and we we carry on like that our cross to bear the things that we have to put up with if only life was like that i wish the worst problem i had was the daggone cupcake thingy won't fit in the sink If we really want to understand what it means to bear a cross, to carry a cross, then we need to we need to understand the reason the crosses were carried in the first place. Okay, you understand that they were a they were an execution device and they would put them up on a prominent hill usually so people could see. It was a means of public execution in a practical sense. It would make it would it would make more sense to just leave the cross up there on the hill. Right? Why not just leave it up there? Take the prisoner up there, put the prisoner on the cross and um, leave it up there when you're done. Just take it down, leave it there. Why would they go through the trouble of taking the cross all the way down into the city where they could attach, you know, give it to the person and make the person carry the cross all the way up the hill? That's going to take a lot of time. They did not have wheels on their crosses back then, I assume. Why do that? There was a reason. The Romans made convicted people carry their cross through the streets to show everyone that the prisoner had been made submissive to the authority of Rome. It was a demonstration of submission to authority. Everyone could see that Rome had the power. Rome was not only going to crucify this person, they were making them carry this cross, and it was to show that the person was under the authority of Rome to carry this cross. Let's be very clear, Jesus was not under the authority of Rome or anybody else. He is the authority, yet he made himself submissive to that authority. As a sign that he had submitted himself to the authority of God the Father. He did that for us. This command to take up our cross is a command to submit ourselves to the authority of God the Father. Fully in the authority of God the Father. Now here we get back to the same place that we were when we talked about denying ourselves. We assume that submission to authority is bad. We are wired from the time we are little kids to rebel against any kind of authority. Anybody who wants to limit Our ability to do what we want must be bad or wrong or unreasonable or controlling when very often those people are just trying to look out for us. When I was eight years old, my mom told me not to jump out of the apple tree. I had jumped out of the apple tree 15 times before that and knew that I could safely jump out of the apple tree. Mom said, boy, don't jump out of that apple tree. And I said, just one more time. And that is all the time. That's the last time I jumped out of an apple tree because I broke my arm jumping out of that apple tree. Mama was trying to limit my ability to be self-deterministic. And I wish she had managed it. <laughs> but I was 8 years old and I and I just did it. When I was in 5th grade, I desperately wanted some parachute pants like MC Hammer. I did. My father, in his wisdom, said, no, son, (laughs) no, (laughs) said, no, no, you're not going to get any parachute pants like MC Hammer. Some of you whose birth year is starts with a two probably don't know who MC Hammer is. And that's really okay. But he had parachute pants. All right. Like parachute pants. What's parachute pants? I can't describe it. They were pants. That's a parachute. I don't know. Be safe. Think ahead. You could fall off of an apple tree and eat a parachute. My dad wisely said, son, you you don't need any parachute pants. Thank you, Dad. Because no photographs of me wearing parachute pants exist. They would have existed. There would have been photographs in this world of me wearing parachute pants like MC Hammer. I don't have to... I don't have that cross to bear. Thank you, Dad. We see someone having authority over us as a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. We're, we're so sure that the way to happiness is to throw off all authority and do whatever we want. Kids cannot wait to grow up and be out from under the authority of their parents. You want to know, kids, the great thing about being an adult is that nobody can stop you from eating a whole package of cookie dough raw while standing in front of the refrigerator. You can eat that whole thing. And the most terrible thing about being an adult is that nobody can stop you from eating a whole package of chocolate chip cookie dough raw standing in front of the refrigerator. Freedom, freedom becomes slavery if we're not careful. There is a gallon bag of chocolate chip cookies on my counter right now, trying to enslave me. We're going to feed them to the. We're going to have a, a party this afternoon and get rid of them cookies. Kevin's going to eat those cookies for me because he's that kind of guy. He's a good friend. He's going to eat those cookies. Look, we are used to the idea. Part of our problem is is we have known some authority figures who didn't use their authority very well. Our parents and grandparents' teachers were sometimes imperfect in the way they used their authority. And we might be able to pick out some ways that we think it should have been different. As a parent, I look back at some of my early parenting and I'm like, oh, wow, was I not good at that. I was not very good. I hope I'm getting better at it like three kids in and a long time in I hope I'm getting better but I look back and I'm like ooh, I don't think I use my authority too well there we're used to the idea that of of people we feel like we can trust maybe don't use their authority properly over us you know um, people who are maybe in an authority over us at work you ever work for a bad boss or someone who didn't really care about you so much as their own power we're used to that idea of of a person in authority maybe not using that authority in a way that's good for us so we might have that hanging over us and when we talk about God's authority our mind goes to that misused authority that we've known in the past but that is not who God is God cares about you way more than you care about you he is more invested in your future than you are he wants more good things for you than you want for yourself Because you're his child if you've called upon the name of Jesus. And if you have not done that yet, he is calling you to his family. Come and be a part of it. He wants you in his family. In taking up our cross and submitting ourselves to his authority, it's not really a denial of good things. It's a guarantee of good things. Maybe a different set of good things. All right? At different times in our life, we may be looking to to destructive things to give us what we want or what we think we need. God's not going to give us destructive things. He's going to give us good things. We're we're so sure that our happiness and and freedom is found in focusing on ourselves with nobody to tell us any different, of indulging ourselves and not being under authority. But that's not true. Freedom isn't found in self-indulgence as much as I want to make my own choices. It's, and I do. I, freedom is not found in just the ability to make your own choices. Do whatever you want. If I want to be free I can't make it about me. If God really knows everything. And God really loves us. Doesn't it make sense to trust him more than we trust ourselves. That's the only thing that makes sense. When we take up our cross. It is not just. Saying, okay, Lord, I want to suffer. Or or it's not just a literal thing of carrying a wooden cross. When we take up our cross, we're saying, I am under the authority of God. I'm going where he wants me to go. The burden is not on me. It's on him to lead me. Following Jesus is so much more than the idea that if we get on his team, he'll make all our plans work out. I've been guilty of that. Say, Lord, look, I've got such a fantastic plan. All I need is your blessing, Lord just give me the blessing to your i got a plan i don't you don't even have to work up a plan lord i got a plan already i just need you to sprinkle some magic pixie dust on it and make it fly that's all i need it's not like that it's about trusting god to give you so much better it's about the the truth that when you make your life about yourself it's never going to bring you true meaning or lasting joy self-centeredness eventually makes us slaves if, if I want to be free, I can't make it about me. If you want something more than fleeting momentary happiness, you'll only find it in Jesus. Read a story of a man one time who was wealthy. He was powerful. He had influence. Nobody could touch him. He had all the stuff you're supposed to have to be free and to be happy. He was the richest man in town. He had it, and yet this same man finds himself climbing a tree to try to get a glimpse at somebody passing through because he knew he was missing something. He had it all. He's, he was, you know, think of some rich, rich guy, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. Got everything, and yet one day they find themselves climbed up a tree. Just to get a glimpse of this man Jesus as he walks by. Zacchaeus got called down from that tree. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus, who had everything before except peace and happiness, gave away virtually everything he had and walked away from the life that he knew. And then he was happy. Why? Is getting rid of stuff the way to make you happy? Not necessarily. But denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following after Jesus is. And that's what Zacchaeus did that day. As best as he can understand it, he denied himself. He took up his cross and he followed after Jesus. If you want peace, if you want happiness, if you want something more, that's where it's at. Not in just indulging yourself, not in just making all your own choices. It's in trust in the Lord and following him. If you want to be free, if, if I want to be free, the quote says, I can't make it about me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we can't make it about us. It won't make us happy. It won't be good for us in any way. So please, Lord, give us freedom from our own self-indulgence. Give us freedom of this idea that we have to fight all authority. Lord, I pray that we will be people who deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after jesus lord i pray for everyone receiving this message here in person or through a podcast or wherever they get it that you'll show them the way of freedom is in trusting jesus in whose name we pray amen all right thank you folks thank you so much next week i'm hoping we get to do something really really special i think it's going to be next week some of you guys know that billy honeycutt is going on a mission trip to south america he is our missionary we are sending him and we're going to have kind of a commissioning service for our missionary billy next week i'm pretty sure it's next week so be here for that and grab a few people and bring them in it's going to be really really great have a wonderful blessed day i hope you get to spend it with some people you love doing some things you love to do and uh Remember that if if I want to be free I can't make it about me. That. That's all I got y'all. Have a great day.